live from the NyxCast Phanthropological Institute. It's mask versus mask versus mask, as we're going to find out who emerges victorious and who emerges an ashamed, ugly, maskless loser. Today we're talking about fans of Lucha Libre. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Phanthropological, the podcast that brings the fans I view to you. My name is Nick G. We're here in Mexico to discover the appeal of Lucha Libre, what makes the fans so ardent about Mexican wrestling. And here with me to do that are my good friends, Nick T. Vamanos, cabron! And Nick Z. Uh, in this corner, uh, you know, you got the guy with the big cigar and the boxing gloves. That's right. Yeah? That's what we're talking about? Cuban boxing? That's Cuba. Oh. Nope. <laughs> Wrong country and sport. Uh, maybe I should just answer some emails, get some boxing gloves. Oh, boy. Yes, yeah, so this is our Strong Bad episode. <laughs> oh, man, that would have been amazing. <laughs> We'd get, like, all of the internet, like, two people to... <laughs> Both people on the internet. <laughs> There's a lot of people that know about uh, Strong Bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, he, he gets out there more so than Homestar Runner himself. Yeah, well, I mean, females were a lot cooler than Homestar Runner. <laughs> I mean, that's true. That's mm-hmm. true. Oh my goodness. Sorry, I'm just like overwhelmed by the amount of information that there is about Lucha Libre. <laughs> uh, there's a lot. It's been around for quite some time. It has yeah. quite the history to it. Ooh, speaking of history, I'm going to get us right into the fandom facts. Mm-hmm. facts. Let's talk about the origins of Lucha Libre, because every time we start an episode, we don't assume that you know what we're talking about. Half the time, we don't know what we're going to talk about. <laughs> I mean, we know what what we're going to talk about. We don't know much about it. Yeah. This week, you might know a lot more than the rest of us. And by might, I mean definitely know a lot more than the rest of us. I mean, I know a lot about professional wrestling, but Lucha Libre, I knew a little bit less about. Okay. But anyway, uh, go ahead. Oh, that's fair. Um, All right. Talking about the origins of Lucha Libre. So Lucha Libre, which literally in English means free fight. I thought it was free jump last week. (laughs) It's not. It's free fight. Hmm. Well, I guess those should have been your famous last words, eh? Uh, lucky they weren't. I'm lucky I brought it up again. Oh, well. Uh, it refers to a form of professional wrestling developed in Mexico, as you might have guessed. Uh, it is often characterized by its colorful masks, rapid moves, and high-flying maneuvers. Lucha Libre wrestlers are known as luchadores or luchadoras, uh, depending on whether they're like male or female. The sport dates back to 1863 during the French intervention into Mexico. It was developed by Enrique Ugarteca, Techia, I'm bad with names. Sorry, everybody. Uh, who is the first Mexican wrestler uh, who adapted it from Greco-Roman style of wrestling. However, it probably wasn't until the 1930s with the foundation of the Empresa Mexicana de Lucha Libre, the Mexican wrestling mm-hmm. enterprise, that the sport gained a national foothold. How national? Well, some say that today, Lucha Libre is the second most popular spectator sport in Mexico. Wow. Behind soccer. Of course. Of course. However, however, it wasn't until the 1940s when the iconic idea of the masked wrestler entered into the sport. In 1942, a silver masked wrestler, El Santo, the Saint, made his debut in Mexico City and won an eight-man battle royale. His career spanned nearly five decades, and he became a folk hero and symbol of justice for the common man, and ended up in a ton of different media. <laughs> mm-hmm. He had comics, he had yeah. a, like a lot of movies. <laughs> it's like John Cena in that episode oh, of Scooby-Doo. Meh. <laughs> Apparently, pretty recently, they did, a, they did a comic called Batman 66, okay. which is like in the style of the original Batman series. And El Santo shows up in that. Huh. <laughs> okay. Um, in terms of, you know, when the fandom originated, like, I, I couldn't find anything on that because, as usual, when you have something like a sport, you know, fans just kind of grow up with the sport. Yeah, it's just part of the culture, part part mm-hmm. of life. Yeah. Yeah. So there are obviously a ton of specific terminology 
within lucha libre wrestling a lot of it i think carries over with like um north american other north american professional wrestling but in mm-hmm. spanish but there are a couple terms that you absolutely must know if you're a fan of lucha libre most notably rudos or mm-hmm. i don't know how to pronounce it rudo i think yeah, yeah who are the stocky brutish bad guy kind of characters and then there are technicos who are more athletic and typically the good guys tend Ooh. to be smaller um there's also a third kind that i learned about uh exoticos Ooh, that's right which are typically wrestlers who will be in drag in very extravagant costumes i'm not going to elaborate as to why that is because i think that'll get into the fandom a little bit because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's interesting and weird and anyway <laughs> In terms of when the fandom was most active, the answer is probably around the 1950s and 1960s during the proliferation of like El Santo and a lot of those kinds of wrestlers. Mm-hmm. But looking at Google Trends data in a very unusual twist, as all good wrestling matches should have. Mm-hmm. No? Not necessarily. No. <laughs> Look, I mean, a twi- we recorded twi- this is- live. <laughs> Man. According to Google Trends data, this is not a case of a clear trend upwards or downwards, as is usually the case, or even a peak Mm. and then a a downwards trend. There was a localized ebb in about October of 2006, and then it kind of like goes on the downturn. And then suddenly in January of 2016, for about like four or five months, spikes up in popularity again. Hmm. And then it's come down, but I wouldn't say as far as it had been, so... There's been a lot of ebbs and flows in the data. Mm-hmm. When did Lucha Underground come out? <laughs> That's a good question. I, I was looking for different Lucha Libre events that happened around then. I found a subscription service, mm-hmm. but I was like, that can't be it. That's That doesn't seem right. All the wrestling companies have subscription services now. <laughs> oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much, yeah. Lucha Underground is like a serial TV series that has matches and stuff, but also like heavy on storyline hmm. and uh, is now on netflix i do oh hey cool yeah it's filmed in somewhere in california isn't it yep it's filmed in L- la okay um while you're looking that up to try to figure out the spike in popularity in january mm. yeah in terms of the size of the fandom always hard to estimate this week was no different but i did find this little quote gem from an article in the bbc titled mexican wrestling grapples to secure a bright future and it kind of gives us a sense of scale because it, the quote goes like this, which is the biggest two or three Lucha Libre events of the year can attract crowds of 17,000. Most weekly fights see attendance between 1,000 and 3,000 people with tickets costing about 300 pesos. So I think without too much exaggeration, it's pretty likely that there's got to be at least 100,000 fans. Oh, yeah. Because those are those are just people showing up mm-hmm. to the events. There's probably other folks that can't make it out there so i'd say a rough upper bound or approximation is probably a hundred thousand i mean this isn't the show of hard statistics (laughs) no they're not always available they're almost never available (laughs) (laughs) we should find a fandom that has like you have to be part of this it's like this there's exactly this many people yeah so according to your 2015 estimate mexico has 119 million people okay uh, and you said it is the second most popular spectator sport after soccer. That Okay, but there could be like yeah. a huge drop-off. To 100,000? Probably quite a few million. I mean, the problem with any sort of estimate is it's like, again, where do you draw the line for fandom? Anyone who says they're a fan, you'll get a very large mm-hmm. number. But if you get more interesting fans that are more participatory, then you get a smaller number. Yes. And you get a smaller number by like a factor of 10. Like event attendance you can track. Yeah. Yeah. The second season of Lucha Underground aired in January 2016. Okay. That could have been a factor. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, like most shows, you know, the first season happens, somebody might not hear about it, and then the second season comes out and everybody knows about it. Yes. Yeah. It might be the first season might have been more accessible by that time. Also true. Anyway. Take a look at the fandom around the world. It is more global than from its outset, obviously, but uh, the majority of interest still does stem from Mexico. But there is a lot of interest in other tropical and in particular Latin parts of the world. So Puerto Rico, Nicaragua, Ecuador, Dominican Republic, Guatemala, Bolivia, for example. Hmm. In terms of other fandom facts that I gathered, I actually collected just a couple odds and ends. 
For example, one of the largest production groups of Lucha Libre in Mexico is Lucha Libre AAA. Mm-hmm. Or AAA. Mm-hmm. And I found this interesting stat comparing th- this to like WWE. So annual turnover, like in a, a year's amount, uh, I guess profit or something, revenue for WWE is something around 500 million. How large do you think Lucha Libre AAA is? 50 million. Okay. Z? 250 million. Okay. Gee, you were surprisingly close. It is 20 million. Okay. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. WWE is like like large to a massive scale that that no other wrestling company even remotely touches. Yeah, I can wow. I can see that. It's just insane. Another interesting fact that I found is how much Lucha Libre wrestlers make. Mm. I just need to read this closely because if I read it wrong, you get a very different perception. <laughs> okay. Okay. So during some period of time, WWE wrestlers could pocket two million dollars a year. That's a lot of money. How much is that? I don't know, because I didn't look up other sports. Because why would I do that? <laughs> yeah. But how much in comparison do Lucha Libre wrestlers make? Like the best ones. Is this for like AAA or CM- CMLL? This is probably Lucha Libre AAA. I didn't write down the source okay. in this particular case. Uh, I think they and CMLL are sort of co-top promotions in Mexico. But like, yeah, it would have to be in one of those $50,000. Okay. Z? I was going to guess the same thing, but I'm going to make it interesting and say $50,001. No, I'm going to go the other way and say $50. A yearly yearly wage is that what we're talking about? Yearly income? I hope we've got something set up for the spotlight. Not for the night. (laughs) Okay, well... I mean, I guess we know which one's the ugly loser in this group. <laughs> oh my god. Sorry, that was more mean than I intended. <laughs> so, the quote goes, The best Lucha Libre fighters earn about 16000 at the largest weekly events. So if you take 16000 multiply it by 52 weeks in a year, then you get eighty-three, about $83,000. Okay. That is for the best fighters at the largest weekly events. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's probably around eighty three thousand because there might be multiple weekly events, but not a lot by comparison. No, like literally, you know, a couple factors of ten difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will say that uh, income in WWE has a very large swing or very large range. Oh, of course. Yeah. So that's what I found for for this week's fandom facts. Hmm. Okay. All right. Interesting. Yeah. You know what's more interesting? What is that, T? Oh, wow. You got really deep for a second. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> last week's famous last words. That's true. You're right about that. Mm. Let's do it. Let's go into the vault here. All right. So famous last words are obviously our chance to say something about the next week's fandom without knowing anything about it. Or mm-hmm. maybe we do, but usually we don't. Z, your famous last words from last week mm-hmm. were... Why are masks important to Lucha Libre? What is your $50 answer? <laughs> I guess, like, based on the importance of that question to Lucha Libre, I guess is the rest of the podcast. Yep, that's it. You guys, you guys can go home. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> I did not get as clear an answer as I would have liked. Like anything that has so much history behind it, it's never really entirely 100% clear, like, on this day... This exact event made this exactly important for this reason. The closest I could get to that is that in a, a little video interview, which you can find in the show notes, I discovered that uh, one of the wrestlers, I believe going by the name of El Magnos, okay. said that the masks come from Aztec and Mayan warrior tradition, uh, where the Aztecs and the Mayan warriors would paint their faces before going into battle to like be more intimidating to uh, sort of take on the personas of what they were painting their faces to look like, whether it be like some kind of animal or deity or whatever. So that's possibly an origin. The fact that the masks weren't in there at, in 1863, they didn't really come along until El Santo in 1940, kind of makes that explanation a little bit dicey. But then I also found that some Mexican wrestlers, some luchadores and luchadoras, um, include like culturally significant articles of clothing in their costumes, like ponchos. Hmm. So there's 
there is like this sort of expression of Mexicanness going on in the wrestlers' costumes, and the masks are are definitely part of that. Beyond that, though, beyond that, beyond the sort of cultural roots of the practice, but uh, you know, getting a little bit more just into the culture of lucha libre itself. Apparently, one of the better explanations out there comes from the creator of La Mano del Destino, The Hand of Fate, comic book. And they say that the luchador does not don his mask to conceal his identity, but rather to reveal it. Mm. So he's, it's like Batman? <laughs> I mean, kind of. The superhero, as I was doing this research into the masks and their importance, the superhero comparison kept coming up. So much so that in a little video um, from Vice about a a small luchador promotion in Brooklyn, like when the, the interviewer's like, you know, what's with the masks? The person she's interviewing basically says, well, if you're familiar with superheroes, you know what it's about. So like there's definitely this sense that when a luchador uh, puts on their mask, they're no longer like they're out of the ring self. They are whatever that mask represents. In El Santo's case, El Santo. In like the case of, I watched a little bit of of Lucha Libre before this recording, and you know, if it's like a mask that looks like a dragon, you're a dragon, I guess. If you've got a mask like the Luchador DJZ, who comes out in this outfit with like blinking rainbow LED lights, including a helmet covered in LEDs that are like flashing through the colors, you're a colorful DJ guy. <laughs> so <Wow>. the masks. <laughs> DJZ is an American wrestler. Oh, oh really? Okay. I mean, remember lots of American wrestlers compete in Mexico. That's that's true. I mean, that's but, fair. Uh, I did not know that. Like DJZ, I, I I know of him. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. But yeah, it seems like at the bottom of it all, masks are so important because they're like the identity of the wrestler. So much so that uh, we'll probably get into this later on. A big part of lucha libre are matches called. Lucha de apuestos. Lucha de apuestos. De yeah. Apuestos. Uh, fights yes. with fights stakes. with stakes or fights with consequences. Yeah. Yeah. Those yeah. are interesting to read about. Yeah, and commonly one of the the consequences is if you lose, you are unmasked. Yeah, which is bad. Yeah, super bad. Yeah, because fans may know you for like ten years. Yeah. With that mask, and they love you know the, the guy in that mask. Yeah. And we'll see this guy's dumb face. Who would? But um, like, part of it is that, like, it's it's given importance because it's important. Like, it's tautological, but yeah, yeah, it's like, like El Santo set set the precedence for it. Did he ever? Man, he never was unmasked. He, he was buried in it. Yeah, he was buried in his mask. <laughs> he revealed himself before he died. He yes, yes, yes. Right, but, but, but he, he never still. He never lost a mask versus mask match. Oh wow. And in Mexico, if you're unmasked, you can never put it back on. Mm-hmm. It's very, very serious. Yes. Yeah. And usually it means that your wrestling career is over, but some people are unmasked and they just go on unmasked. Some people make a go of it. Yeah. Unmasked. And so, some people don't have masks at all. Yeah. Some people just start out. They're in the minority, as I learned. Hmm. Oh. I didn't realize that a majority of luchadors wore masks, but that is the case. Hello, Vasilian. Thank you for for joining us. Uh, he was just adding that there are, of course, yeah. other depictions of uh, luchadors like the Kudo mascots. Yeah. Yes, thank you. That'll help. I mean, Jack Black, Nacho Libre. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I haven't seen the movie, but that one... Neither, neither have I. Neither that, have I. That one at least has I. like a his, semi-historical element to it. Yeah. 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 The video game, uh, Guacamole, TV show... Mucha lucha. All right. So that was a lot more than I was expecting for such a simplistic kind of question. Masks are are very important. Super uh, important. Okay. Well, speaking of masks, uh, I continued on that trend with my famous last words, which were in mask, out of mask. I'm I'm writing. I'm speaking what I literally wrote down, even if it doesn't make sense. Which was Bruce Wayne like character, never in the same place at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I could not find, I mean, one, that's really hard to search for, <laughs> but two, I couldn't find any character that like pretended that they were one person or another person. It wasn't like, um, 
what is it in pro wrestling they have like mankind and the person who did that character was mcfoley yeah it was like a whole yeah. bunch of different characters yeah he was cactus jack he was dude love but yeah yeah i couldn't find anything like that probably had i known to look for mcfoley i might have found something but i think i would have just got something like this guy is the mexican mcfoley and it's yeah. like yeah that looks like that guy yep yeah okay so there is one character but i didn't bring it up because he's not a luchador he's a japanese wrestler Ooh. Yeah. eiji izaki aka hayabusa Ooh. which is falcon it's falcon okay uh he was he was a pretty high flying dude <laughs> but like at one point he would take off the mask mm-hmm. he'd be like he'd be more heelish more wooish darker mm. and he'd just be called h <laughs> i don't know more than that okay mm. But, like, that is an example, but he I don't think he did that very much. Okay. And that brings us to G's famous last words, which were probably getting to some inside baseball of wrestling. I, I think, yeah, okay, just, yeah, go ahead. Okay. In American wrestling, working on a limb, so, like, when you're grappling somebody or whatever, is always the left side. In Lucha Libre, it's always the right side. Why? Okay, so I'd not find out any concrete evidence to be like, oh, uh, they do it this way because of this. It naturally sort of occurred in Lucha Libre. But here is my theory as to why. Mm-hmm. And it's not entirely uneducated. So the idea with working on the left side in American wrestling is that when the babyface makes their comeback, when they you know get out of the hold or whatever, they can make their comeback with their right side, which is most people's dominant hand. Okay. Which makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Lucha Libre is not so much about like power or impact. Not near as much as American or Japanese wrestling is. Because when they started wrestling in Mexico, mm-hmm. they did so in rings without springs. So it's like there's no shock absorption when you hit the mat. You just flat on the mat and get the wind knocked out of you. Oh. So a lot of a lot of, a lot of Lucha Libre is not based around strikes. And the, the bit I watched in, in preparation for this episode, no one was really laying it in hard. It's mostly like rolls and slides and twists and like sort of not that many people just taking full on impact, Mm -hmm. like more moving around. And as such, the, you know, needing to use your dominant arm would not be as important to like punch the guy in the face or use a big power move or something like that. So it would make more sense then for someone to, in character in the world of wrestling, to work on their dominant side. Yeah. So that's my theory. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hmm. That doesn't happen very often. What's that? We don't have an answer, but we have a theory. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't find anything concrete, but I think that's one way of looking at it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've got the facts. We had some interesting questions that we talk a lot, a lot, a lot about the mask. Hmm. But like, why are people fans of Lucha Libre? Why? I'm asking you guys because I watched some of it and I was already like, I understand intrinsically. <laughs> i get it i was just saying earlier it's like the first thing you notice even if you've never ever seen lucha labor before is like it's acrobatics yes it's very physically impressive yeah people doing flips in each other's faces and, <laughs> and springing up and it moves very fast mm-hmm. like one of the cool things about lucha libre tag matches is you do not necessarily need to tag the hand of your opponent you can just exit the ring which speeds things up ah, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> well, to provide a little bit of context without going too deep, I'm not sure that there's too deep to go. Um, mm-hmm. The rules of wrestling are as such. Uh, for Lucha Libre wrestling, there are three rounds. The winner of the three rounds is the winner. Like pro wrestling in uh, the United States, it is staged. It is not fake. It is predetermined. It is predetermined. <laughs> as G had mentioned, the squared circle, as it is called, does not have any springs which necessitates like rolling and and whatnot but also means that more things happen outside of the ring mm-hmm. that's where a lot of your flips happen like from the ring to the outside on a person that is more or less catching you <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so when you don't have to tag out and you're already doing so much outside of the ring and part of the rules is you can't stay outside of the ring for more than 20 seconds and like most wrestling rules, the rules are not very strongly upheld. <laughs> Absolutely not. You definitely end up with things being faster because 
Mm-hmm. People are like flying out of the ring and like jumping back into the ring and tagging in and tagging out just implicitly. Oh, yeah. I've seen it like in rapid succession, people leaving the ring, people entering the ring and doing like each, they do a move to someone else and then they roll out of the ring. and then <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Because that there's that, there's often two referees, mm. one on the inside, one on the outside. Often one Technico and one a Rudo, which is why your referees on sides. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, it sounds like some of them become characters in their own right. Well, I mean, they'd have to. It's like not even getting into like the the technical sides of you know tagging is different and all that stuff. Just the atmosphere of Lucha Libre is is way more cartoonish than American wrestling. Yeah, because they're superheroes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They can fly. They wear masks. Yeah. A lot of them look like they'd be right at home in a in an episode of the Power Rangers. Absolutely. I'm pretty sure there's like Japanese Lucha Libre wrestlers that literally just have the like the whole <laughs> I was really attracted to the the high flying aspect, so yes. that very much comes top of mind. It's not just like pure athleticism either. It's really hard to describe. Like, gee, you might have words for for the actual moves. Yes. But I was watching some of the techniques where they would jump from the top rope onto their opponent and then would like I don't know, spiral around their arm or leg or back and just like okay, yeah. flip and turn. And it's just eh. the level of speed and strength and like working with each other was just yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, that's definitely uh, both people. You can't, you can't do one without the other, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you need that, that person also like helping you whip around. But yeah, there's a lot of that, that particular... I know exactly what you're talking about, but I don't know if I can name that. Sometimes it'll end in a head scissors. Sometimes it'll end in DDT. Sometimes it'll end in a submission, like an octopus stretch or something. But like, yeah. And you have reversals upon reversals. Yeah. Mid-move. Mid-move. Yeah. Or you'll have them just like pick them up by their feet and start going like all figure skating style spinning around the ring. <laughs> Like, it's just ridiculous. It's not... I When I watched the Lucha Libre matches that I, I'd seen, at no point did I expect it's like, all right, now this big burly guy's going to get up and they're going to, like, fake punch <laughs> on his chest. And it's like, ooh, wonder who's oh, no. going to win this. Yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, so there's not a lot of striking in Lucha Libre. No. It's more like, like sequences mostly start off with, like, bouncing off the ropes. Yeah. Either being bounced off the ropes or bouncing off the ropes, and then you go into go into something else, maybe like a drop kick or something there, and then sprinting, you do head scissors, you do your hurricane ranas. Yeah, not only are there like just lots of like flips, like oh, oh god. Halfway through a match I saw I saw some dude just like takes off his shirt, laser into it. He does, he just like a handspring hits his feet on the ropes as he's doing a handstand, goes and it back flips, does it like like where did where what happened? Why were you not doing this for the rest of the match? <laughs> But yeah, in addition to that, um, Lucha Libre has a lot of like really interesting submissions and pins. Mm. Like really, like you kind of like tie the guy up like a pretzel and then fold him over and then he's like pinned. <laughs> um, that usually start with a lot of those uh, spinning moves. So like that is instantly really entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like Z said, you've got this cartoonish level of activity right like yeah it's not one-to-one but in a bunch of anime it's like you're watching people do all these flurries of blows like punching each other mm-hmm. certain numbers of times but instead you've got like throws and jumps and backflips <laughs> yeah i would say it's like a cross between like a warner brothers cartoon and a superhero cartoon yeah a little bit yeah because because it's not like uh this is not how people would really fight <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about it yeah <laughs> one thing that i found really interesting comparing lucha libre wrestling to like the wwe let's just say that that's way easier yeah i saw a big emphasis in lucha libre on machismo Mm -hmm. really yeah well like you've got the good guys like the technicos which are you know representing the common man and you've got the rudos which are i think rudo literally oh no there's a different word it's like tough guy yeah 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 they represent stuff like crooked businessmen or like uh corrupt politicians just like the sort of general social evils that people face in their day-to-day lives right and you've got the exoticos who are 
uh, like dressed in drag and tend to win matches through like a sense of emasculation. Mm. I mean, they win because they're really good at wrestling, but like there's the sense that they're emasculating their foes. Mm. Yes. And like, I don't know. It's weird because it's this macho sense of like, who's the most powerful? Actually, one of the the rules that doesn't come up very often is like, uh, what was it? Winning through like brutality or something like that? Yeah, if he's just like, if someone's just like absolutely getting destroyed, the referee can just stop it. Yeah. Mm. So there's like all this like macho, like strongman kind of stuff, but it's not like, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin. It's not like a huge, muscly, burly man. It could be like a fat white dude. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, yeah, yeah. 70s style strongman instead of like now style strongman. Yeah. And. American wrestling, it's like everyone everyone's like, oh, you know, a good guy who fights for what's good and, and what's right is just like <laughs> Hulk Hogan a little bit. <laughs> for example. Well, okay, so yes, Hulk Hogan, but like after a while people thought that was lame. People got sick of that, and then you get like Stone Cold Steve Austin, right? Mm-hmm. You get the anti hero. And we've never really in American wrestling, never really gotten out of that. Mm-hmm. Lucha Libre doesn't really seem to have that problem. No. People are just awful or like <laughs> heroes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like in medieval times where you're like, there's like the Red Knight or the Blue Knight or whatever, and you're in one of their sections. Yeah. Except everybody is in the section of the Technico because they're good. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently, like one of the big differences between Lucha Libre and like the WWE, for example, is that uh, matches are predominantly team matches rather than one on ones. At least according to what I'd read. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. it's not just like two technicos or two rudos put together, but it's one of each. Yeah. In the same like team for story oh. reasons or just to make things interesting. Yeah, they have a term for it, which um, oh. it means like incredible team or incredible pairing. Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, Pere has incredibles, I believe. Yeah. That's barely ever a thing in American wrestling. Sometimes it is, but like we we don't have a term for it. But hugely a thing in anime. <laughs> yeah. Will they get along? How will they get along? It turns out the bad guy was good all along. <laughs> um. I mean, I didn't do any follow up research or anything, but it sounds like in Lucha Libre, when there is like one Technicos and one Rudos paired together, it's not necessarily that the the Rudos turns out to be good. It's like. They're just using and manipulating the Technicos for their own end. Yeah, like they have their own selfish ideas that they want to do this for. And the Technicos like, well, I just want to do it for the fans, man. I think that mechanic kind of makes Lucha Libre just a little bit more accessible, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have to follow a 30-year storyline to see what's going on with this character. You're like, this is the good guy. Is he Mm -hmm. always a good guy? The answer is yes. (laughs) <laughs> done <laughs> done and I, I think also the fact that they're they're entertainers right like in say wwe it's like it's live theater but everybody's pretending that they're the character yeah yeah and lucha libre seems to acknowledge that they're characters but also that it's all played up for fun too yeah yeah i mean it's everyone's just having a good time it's also wrestling is also not lame like it is considered to be in uh in america <laughs> Uh, I found a cool quote here. Oh, cool. This is from Brown Machismo on keeping with the theme on, on the R. Oh, this is from R squared circle. But it's, ta- it's about Lucha Libre. And this is definitely not the first time I've heard this, but there's an old saying about international wrestling. In Canada, it's a tradition. In Mexico, it's a religion. In Japan, it's a sport. In America, it's a joke. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you want to keep going on that line, I actually have something, a quote that is both interesting and relevant. Oh, let's hear it. So I found out that there are some things about WWE style wrestling that do not hold in Lucha Libre wrestling. Not rules, but about how the story is told. Hmm. Ah. Every WWE match follows essentially the same format. A bit of punching, a brief exchange of moves that all the real fans recognize, sometimes known as the five moves of doom. Then an exchange of finishers. The number required dependent on the importance of the match. One each for a raw fight, up to six at a side at WrestleMania. I'm very interested as to where you got this information. I, I will. You're, it is accurate. <laughs> but like, I'm curious as to who did this analysis. Okay. 
Lucha Libre wrestlers have no time for that sort of business. Technicos, the Lucha equivalent of good guys, or US-style wrestling baby faces, use a ludicrous selection of technical moves, while Rudos go completely underhand with low blows and referee distractions. So that's not so uncommon. <laughs> that came from an article on coachmag.co.uk called Why Lucha Libre is Better Than the WWE. Interesting. <laughs> I needed an angle, and I found a wedge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another thing, too, is that... Maybe American Wrestling tends not to do this anymore. But Technicos are fun to watch, and Rudos are not. That's part of the good guy, bad guy dynamic. Mm-hmm. Right? Technicos know all these crazy moves and crazy flips, so the Rudos will just, like, punch you. Or, like, stop you from flying. Mm-hmm. Or put on, like, some nasty submission or something. Yeah. So, like, the most entertaining part of the match is the Technico. Mm-hmm. So him being stopped in itself is a bad guy move. Right. Yeah, America does not do that anymore. I mean, again, live theater, right? Yep. Like, if you want to be more theatrical and tell different kinds of stories, then you get stuck in a rut, but you try different things. If you want to tell Mm -hmm. the same fun story all the time, superhero A versus villain B. Yeah, you can do that too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know that so far we've been talking a lot about Lucha Libre compared to WWE, and I know that a lot of that stems Mm -hmm. from... Uh, in your particular case, G, personal familiarity, and also the inevitable comparison, like when we compared cricket and baseball. Mm-hmm. Baseball, yeah, yeah. But like, I mean, gotta... but like, even despite that, I think we can still touch it. Like the parts that make lucha libre appealing to non wrestling fans, and I, and we've touched on some of those so far too, like the acrobatics mm-hmm. and the the ridiculous energy. Oh yeah. So have you come across this bit about the audience participation? maybe it's a specific thing no uh not in particular but it seems a little bit different than say other kinds of wrestling are you talking about the money there's money, money? yeah oh then no go ahead i have something else then yeah okay so there was an article that i read called a night at lucha libre wrestling that makes we seem like sesame street on <laughs> think progress it talks a lot about just the how the audience was in, engaged in the particular match. Hmm. Like I know in WWE style wrestling, there's like you know a lot of memes and a lot of like they say things, but apparently there's all sorts of ridiculous traditions that go into lucha libre wrestling, and people are just very much into it. And I think part because so much of the wrestling happens outside of the ring. Hmm. Like there's just weird traditions. Like when people have their masks removed. Mm-hmm accidentally they like they'll bring somebody in with a towel and throw it over his head and people will be like oh he's so ugly ah. <laughs> like having not actually seen their face yeah. it's just yep. like yep. just being a dick <laughs> yeah but there's a lot of that They're, like this is i think what i tried to talk about with the machismo but i couldn't remember where it came from is like there's a lot of like insults both out to the wrestlers and then from the wrestlers at the audience like from both sides yeah <laughs> I'm going to pop your balloon entirely to you, but I read that article as well. I think that is more difference between mainstream versus indie wrestling than it is Lucha Libre okay. versus American wrestling. That's fair. I did find something about Lucha Libre Extremo. That's your, um, what do they call it? Like backyard wrestling almost? <laughs> yeah. Because it's like thumbtacks <laughs> and all sorts of nasty Not sanctioned stuff. by <laughs> anybody. Yeah. Outlawed, yeah, literally. <laughs> yes. Break out the lawn darts. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> how about that money all right let's talk about the money <laughs> i mean I, I kind of know the thing but let me find the specific thing sure one characteristic practice in mexico fans honor wrestlers by throwing money to the wrestling ring after witnessing a high quality match with this act fans honor the luchador in a symbolic way thanking the luchador for a spectacular match demonstrating their pleas with their performance showing the match is worth their money and worth more than what they paid yeah. for to witness such an event this act of honoring the luchador is uncommon. Months can pass without such practice because fans are the toughest critics booing the luchador <laughs> if they're not pleased with their performance, regardless if they're good or bad guys. The luchador, after receiving such an act of honor, will pick up the money and save it as a symbolic trophy, putting it in a vase or a box, writing the date, and treasuring it. Aww. The fans toss money at us, and the fans mm-hmm. throw money when the match is over because they're satisfied because we gave it our all, uh, said Atlantis. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you'd ever see that at a WWE match. <laughs> no, Vince McMahon would just come out and collect all the money and then leave. You just have some sort of vacuum cleaner or something. 
though this is much more common than throwing the money, but is similar to the Japanese wrestling practice of throwing streamers into the ring. Oh my goodness. You just posted a picture of like a ridiculous number of streamers. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's like just like it's a spider web of streamers inside of wrestling. <laughs> yeah. That is before the match. <laughs> Wait, what? I gotta clean that up. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's been a Japanese thing for a long time, and they do that at indie shows a lot now in America. <laughs> but uh, that's another way of being like, we appreciate you. <laughs> but uh, it, it happens far more often than the uh, the, the luchadors throwing the money. Mm-hmm. In that same article about a night at Lucha Libre Wrestling that makes WWE seem like Sesame Street, I thought it was interesting because it also mentioned like the demographics of the fans, which I didn't mm-hmm. have a lot of luck finding beforehand, which seemed to imply that fandom there is a lot more like uniform between genders yeah because oftentimes we talk about fandom as being like male dominated even though when Mm -hmm. you look at it it's like that's just like the curative aspect yeah but when you talk about something like lucha libre which is almost like elevated to a religion in mexico it's encouraging that there's more of a an even divide yeah i was really surprised when i was watching the uh, the triple a uh 25th anniversary thing whenever they'd cut to the crowd um, it seemed like it was a shot that had at least equal, if not more, women than men. But like, I, I wasn't entirely sure if that was standard because it was like a big event. One thing that struck me, and I don't know if this is true or just like AAA's way of doing it, it seems like uh, men and women don't really have separate leagues because there were a few tag team matches that I watched where it was like a mix on both sides think so i don't i wasn't sure if like maybe more women were in attendance because there were actually more more women than like one or two in the ring it's not unheard of but it's not usual okay were women fighting men yes or wrestling men yes okay because there's there is a difference because you can have tag matches with men and women but like only the women can fight the women only the men can fight the men no there's there's a bit of crossover Okay, those are called mixed tag matches, where intergender tag matches are everyone fights over. Hmm. Yeah, and AAA, who put on Lucha Underground, do that. There, there was some of that on Lucha Underground. I was watching CMLL show mm-hmm. from this year from Arena Mexico, and it was the same. Like lots of guys, lots of girls, lots, lots of kids actually as well. Yeah, yeah, just seemed like the whole family was there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like apparently, traditionally, um, families not just. A big part of it audience wise but like there are also wrestling families oh yeah there are lots and lots of uh luchadors who are descendants <laughs> like Alhio del santo ah son of the saint Ooh. you may have heard of ray mysterio jr yes i haven't also known in the wwe as ray mysterio because vince mcmahon is vince mcmahon jr and he hates the appellation jr but <laughs> Rey Mysterio Jr. is probably the luchador that was most famous for being a luchador in the USA. And he is, I believe, the nephew of Rey Mysterio Sr. Hmm. Literally, King Mystery. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, not, not to mention the Guerreros. Yes. Yeah, Phil. He was, uh, he was on YTV. Uh. That's right. <laughs> No, not, not a long lost cousin. <laughs> I mean, that'd be a really cool tie in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. The Canadian connection. He was wrestling that uh, that box. Yeah. It had a name. Snit. I did not care for those segments. <laughs> yeah, you have Patriarch Gory Guerrero, one of the early famous luchadors who did not wear a mask. Hmm. And his sons, Hector Chavo, Eddie. You may have heard of Eddie Guerrero. I have. Yep. He is my favorite wrestler of all time. Oh, made it big. I remember watching a, ma- a, a match with him in uh, that I was in Mexico, and he was with an American uh, wrestler, and he and he was all like decked out in America gear, like his pants were American flags, and like classic Rudo gimmick in Mexico is being an American, yeah, and being elitist and being like, oh, I'm better than you, yeah. I mean, foreigner heels is 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 as old as. You know, time itself. Much like Japan's founding father, Ricky Dozan, would fight all kinds of foreign heels, though he was actually <laughs> Korean himself. Oh, no. <laughs> Knowing what I know now, that is actually like... That is really so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like 
Not a lot of people knew that. Mm-hmm. Like at the time, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned the family friendliness of it. <laughs> because one of the things I was reading, which I guess is either true or false or whatever, make up your own opinion about it, is the idea that Lucha Libre is more, quote, grown up than uh, WWE style wrestling. Hmm. I mostly remember that because of the, the interesting quote that it has. Okay. I don't know that it's actually true. I can definitely see what it was going for. though. So the quote goes, The WWE is essentially a show designed to be accessible to children, even though it once included a plot line about a man accidentally eating his own dog. What? Uh, Lucha Libre is a oof. thoroughly grown-up affair, and Lucha Britannia, the UK's version, which has monthly shows in Bethnal Green, East London, is about as child-friendly as dubstep night at Fabric. Also, you can drink tequila. <laughs> I don't know what Fabric is, so probably some fancy club yeah but like i don't know from what i observed it it didn't seem like it was particularly adult but yeah oh yeah that like the description of that show is like very like someone's wearing a swastika for goodness sakes oh yeah yeah they don't take things too seriously no like people get that it's a show and like they're not trying to condescend to the audience they know what's going on and they're, they're just trying to be entertaining yeah an addendum to my story about Eddie Guerrero. First of all, Gory Guerrero, Eddie's father, and El Santo were a famous tag team. Ooh. The Atomic Pair, La, la Paraja Atomica. <laughs> and cool. uh, Eddie Guerrero's tag team with the with American uh, art bar were known as Los Gringos Locos. <laughs> the crazy Americans. Amazing. <laughs> oh, man, oh, man. Speaking of crazy Americans... Did either of you hear about the uh, the American wrestler from Pittsburgh making his name in the Lucha Libre world? Trump guy? Sam Polinsky, a.k.a. Trump guy. I was actually trying very hard not to bring him up. Ooh. Trump well, I mean, guy? I have not heard of this person. He, he has a real wrestling name. Yeah, yeah. His real wrestling name is Sam Adonis. Okay, I just told him that. I don't know who that is. Tagline, El Rudo de las Chicas. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Good looking fella. <laughs> I hope so. But, like, he is, he is, you know, working down in Mexico as a, as a luchador. Mm-hmm. But he's also aware of what's going on back up, uh, back up, up north in his American home. And when he saw the results of the election go the way they did, he decided that, you know, as a heel, the stuff that goes over the best and really gets the Mexican crowd's blood boiling is Americans. You know, mm-hmm. they love to hate American like characters mm-hmm. in Lucha Libre because like the the greater the foreign villain, the greater the American villain, the greater the Mexican hero. Ah. So what he did was he adapted the character of an over the top Trump supporter. He's got like a four foot American flag with the guy's face on it. I hate him already. <laughs> a cartoon rendition of him yeah. on like his left butt cheek of his pants or something puts on a spray tan as part of his makeup <laughs> uses like a little a little paint roller to even out the creases and the wrinkles Ugh. and the misses straightens his hair with a blow dryer a lot of wrestlers do use spray tan but I mean, <laughs> could, you know i understand the, the point here the reason though that i bring him up is that it speaks to one of the things that i think like is maybe more prominent in lucha libre than in wwe or what sets it apart what makes it special and that's that People don't necessarily go to it to, like, see amazing acrobatics. That's definitely a big part of it, because that's that's just really cool. And people don't necessarily go to it for, you know, Game of Thrones-level story. Like, really intricate, thick plot. No. They go to it because, in the words of one fan, Marco Espinoza, the important part of Lucha Libre is to relieve your stress, to yell, to get the crowd fired up. So it's like going out to this, this match, this theatrical event... And, you know, you're watching the wrestlers, but as the audience, you're also participating by, like, screaming your head off and, like, really getting into it. And, like, there's this catharsis that happens because of that. Yeah, that's really important. That's part of the, like, very much part of the appeal. Part of that, like, in Mexico, it's a religion kind of idea. Yeah. That it's, like, release. It's part of a a cultural thing. You're all together feeling these strong emotions and, Mm -hmm. and releasing them as one. Yeah. Whereas wrestling is a lot about, not that's not about, but 
you'll have a detachment to be like, oh, you're trying to get me to boo this guy? Nah, I <laughs> do what you well, tell me I'm, to do. I'm not terribly familiar with modern, like, American wrestling, but it just doesn't seem as, I guess, as relevant to everyday life as, like, a promotion where the characters, like, the heels are, you know, corrupt politicians or, like, crooked cops or drug dealers. Yeah, you have this weird mishmash of, like, you know, kids who love John Cena or whatever. That you have, like, you have this this whole portion of, like, oh, well, you better impress me with this story or this match. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whereas, like, with Lucha Libre, when you, you're buying the ticket, you you know, I'm sure there are people who are, like, like oh, impress me, Luchadors. But, it, but in terms of that, like, catharsis feeling, you kind of, that's part of, you know, the price of the ticket. Mm-hmm. That you get to be that sort of person for a couple hours. Yeah, I think that like that feeds into the whole idea that it's more adult, like maybe not more adult, but more grown up. Oh yeah, yeah. You're like, hey, we're gonna go scream for two hours to uh, <laughs> <laughs> just get it out of our system. It's mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah kind of reminds me of like not because they're screaming at the uh, the movie screen, but it reminds me a lot of Bollywood because it's like this event where you're seeing in a very different way, but sort of in a, in a similar way, like the problems and trials and tribulations that uh, sort of like the quote little guy faces every day sort of writ large but like in a in a scenario where you can count or at least hope realistically that good will prevail justice will be served i feel, I feel like doing the research around the world in this episode one thing i've learned is that north america and the states and canada we are some of the least emotionally honest people <laughs> The, it's the, the British heritage. World. It's the British heritage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I definitely remember reading something about, you know, how British people don't smile. It's like, why don't they smile? It's like, you, you Americans, you smile way too easily. <laughs> like, smile at anybody, <laughs> even if you don't like them. <laughs> yeah. All right. It's time for the verdict. You know what? I'll go first this time. That's All right. unprecedented. <laughs> it's without precedent. I'm pretty sure there's a one in three chance that I've done it first before. I find Lucha Libre a very exciting, athletic, interesting thing to watch. Like with professional wrestling, like WWE style wrestling, I don't know that I can really get into it. It's just too much to get into. I would say it's less to get into than WWE. I don't need to pay attention to a 30-year line storyline. Uh, even a family of wrestlers is not necessary to know the heritage, although maybe as a fan be lauded for knowing that. I think I would definitely watch more Lucha Libre style wrestling, but I don't know that I would really consider myself a fan. So I would have to say that I'm out. All right. Same G for last. I'll jump in here. Throw down my verdict. When I started into the research, you know, the first few things that I saw were Lucha Libre. It's it's more cartoony than uh, WWE or whatever. It doesn't take itself as seriously. And it's got like these crazy melodramatic storylines and all that. And when I when I was reading that, I was like, man, that like reminds me of my vague, vague memories of like watching the wrestling that like my grandpa would watch, which was back in like the 80s, early 90s when WWE... WWF then actually um, was very melodramatic and over the top and I like you know uh, even later on when I was like flipping through channels in the early 2000s at some point I came across this like utterly ridiculous utterly over the top like story chunk from wrestling and it was probably just like you know your standard story chunk but it just really struck me as very soap operatic and very entertaining because of that (laughs) So I was like, oh man, this Lucha Libre thing, I'm going to like, I think I'm going to really get into this stuff. It's going to be for me. So I, you know, I went through the research and everything was pretty cool. Masks, the history there, just the history of it in general. I had no idea that it went back as far as it does. And then I finally hunted down an actual chunk to watch. And, you know, first sort of, I guess, strike against it was that like most of the chunks that I was coming across were like an hour long. And I was like, oh, so it's, not too different from American wrestling with its very long specials and you know you got to watch like 20 hours a week to keep up or whatever which it doesn't sound like is the case at all thankfully but having watched it 
I definitely enjoyed it. I definitely like can really appreciate all the athleticism that goes into it. Sort of like I can really appreciate it when it's it's obvious that people like know how to fall properly. Not like I enjoy seeing people fall properly. It's just that like that level of athleticism, that level of like combat choreography is fascinating to watch. Probably because of all the years I spent in, in Kung Fu and all that, learning how to fall properly. But like watching Lucha Libre, it reminded me a lot of stuff like Jackie Chan movies. How there's like that sort of mm. high flying acrobatic athleticism on display, and I really enjoyed that. I didn't pick up any of any of the bits of the story, except that like apparently in AAA, a group of of Rudos are like crazy clowns. So there's an ICP connection for a future episode. <laughs> That's right. I believe they're called the Psycho Circus. Yeah, yeah, actually, I think you're right. (laughs) Not to be confused with a sort of insane clown posse. I mean, there's a clear difference, right? It's it's pretty obvious. (laughs) So ultimately, I can't really say that I'm going to, like, hunker down after this call and catch up on the recent wrestling stuff that's going down. But partially helped by the fact that it's on Netflix. I am definitely going to check out this uh, Lucha Underground because I'm I'm curious to find out more. I just don't think I would have the time to take on something as expansive as Lucha Libre seems to be. And I mean, even if some uh, sequences or series that have like English subtitling, I don't know that they would necessarily be like the best of the best or if they'd be, you know, closer to american wrestling so that they appeal to fans of wrestling already so bottom line i am not necessarily in as a fan but like i have definitely grown an appreciation for uh, lucha libre and will enjoy it when i see it again whenever that may be Hmm. so here's the thing (laughs) okay okay (laughs) i've watched so much american wrestling i like you know british japanese i watch a bunch of wrestling but I do not watch a lot of Lucha Libre. And the thing that struck me, like I was almost set further back because I was so used to other kinds of wrestling when I watched this. So I was watching the match and there's just quite a few things that didn't, that seemed weird. Like, they, they, like, first of all, like all matches in Lucha Libre seem to be two out of three falls, which is unusual for most other kinds of wrestling. British wrestling used to be in rounds, but that's different. And it didn't ring a bell or anything when the fall happened. It seemed almost anticlimactic when those when those falls that were not deciding the ultimate winner of the match happened. It didn't seem there didn't seem to be a lot of anything going on. Also, Mexican wrestlers do not tap. No, no, they either like wave their arms or like or hold up their arms or something like or tell the referee or like nod or something like yeah. that. Tapping in wrestling started with the initial rise of MMA. Hmm. So like. A lot of it just looks different. Like, it's just not what I'm used to. And notoriously, the psychology is difficult to understand compared to the wrestling that I'm used to. Of the wrestlers or of the audience? Of the match. Of, like, a given oh, okay. match of the wrestlers. Like, like why is he doing that now? How does that play into the story of the match? I'm not talking about storylines. I'm talking about you tell a story with what you're doing in the match. Yeah. You know, Babyface starts out really hot. And then the heel beats him down and wears him down and the baby face makes his comeback. That sort of story, yeah. right? I don't get how it works in Lucha Libre. Mm-hmm. But I intend to find out. Yeah! <laughs> 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 yeah, I gotta watch. I mean, I've watched you know, lots of Rey Mysterio Jr. matches in Juventud Grea and uh, Psychosis. You know, I've watched a bunch of luchadors in American companies wrestling. Mm-hmm. And to be quite honest... You cannot escape Lucha Libre if you watch any wrestling. There are luchadors and and Lucha Libre-inspired wrestlers Mm -hmm. in American indies, in Britain, in Japan, everywhere. Like, Lucha Libre is a part of all wrestling now. Mm -hmm. All those flips, all those moves. There are lots of wrestlers that still do those things. But a little homework for myself is to actually understand Lucha Libre and watch, like, Mexican Lucha Libre matches. And some of them come with English commentary, which is nice, because I like hearing moves called, and I like kind of understanding what the... It'll probably go a long way in helping me understand what's going on in the match, because I normally don't have the commentary to help me. But uh, I am in. Hmm. Sweet. Is the French wrestling I probably know the least about, and I want to change that. Hmm. So, 
Amazing. There you have. Yeah. Yeah, that was one thing that was inescapable. Was like, oh yeah, Japan is no stranger to lucha libre. I'm like, yes, <laughs> that makes sense. In for like you know putting a foot in the water. I believe it's every February. New Japan and CMLL have a co-produced show. What? Uh, called Fantastica Mania. <laughs> <laughs> so that might be a good place to get started and getting introduced to a bunch of the luchadors. All right. With that. We don't know who the loser is, but we do know what's in the spotlight. <laughs> this week's spotlight uh, is an organization that I found called Wrestling for Charity, which is unfortunately not Lucha Libre specific, but it is wrestling related. Located in North Carolina and founded in 2005, uh, WFC is a not-for-profit that raises money for a variety of different organizations. Their mission is to bring a positive fan and family-friendly experience to wrestling enthusiasts while raising money and awareness for community organizations and causes. And it looks like they've hosted a bunch of events, so I feel pretty good about that. If you want to check those folks out, you can go to wfcwrestling.wordpress.com and uh, learn more about them. Maybe even check out one of their events if you happen to be in the area, which is somewhere in the U.S., probably not Canada, but hey. U.S. is a big country. It's ten times bigger than Canada, so you know whatever. <laughs> anyway, check that out. It's for a good cause. Wrestling for charity. Hmm. Very nice. If you are listening to this podcast on iTunes, I'd love it if you hit the subscribe button. That brings you our episodes every Friday, as well as leave a rating or review. The more words about us, the more people hear us. So uh, we'd like to get the word out on Fanthropological. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also find all our dealings and doings on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at the Nixcast, as well as patreon.com slash the Nixcast. What is patreon.com, you may be asking? It is a place where you can become a patron of the artists that you like and enjoy. So, for example, if you became a patron of the Nixcast, you could get the inside track on all the different things that we're up to, hear about all the conventions, panels, new videos, all that stuff we plan to do before it comes out, give you a little bit of insight and you help us to make the cool content that you already consume presumably um if you want to do that you can go to patreon.com slash the next cast even as little as a dollar a month is immensely helpful in keeping the lights on keeping the podcast ad free helping us to produce all the umpteen hours of content that we release over the course of the year so check that out patreon.com slash the next cast really appreciate your continued support hi friends If you're listening to this podcast through some sort of audio device, like headphones, or a speaker system, or your computer, or your your whatever, I don't even know anymore, your iPhone, your iTablet, your... I clearly don't even know anymore. You Keep doing that, but also tune in on twitch.tv slash thenixcast every Monday at 8pm to see us recording this thing live. That's right, you can see all of our faces. You'd be surprised. There are three of them. And join us in the chat. Throw down your thoughts, your comments, your questions even. We can answer them based on the research we did. Maybe our answers will surprise you. Maybe they'll surprise us as well. At any rate, please do check us out. Live recording this podcast every Monday night at 8pm on twitch.tv slash thenixcast. As you were mentioning that, Z, a thought occurred to me. Oh, yeah? If you are listening to this on Twitch, in the chat right now, you could be giving us famous last words. Make us do stupid research for next week. I mean, (laughs) hopefully interesting research, but like, you could be providing famous last words. Fingers crossed, but yes, it's up to you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But speaking of famous last words, that's all we've got left for this episode. Yep. Oh, heck. Oh, heck yeah. So, Famous Last Words are our chance, as I mentioned at the top of the show, to ask a question, make a statement about next week's fandom this week, before we do the research, which is the best. It's the best way to do that. (laughs) Obviously, this week we spent our time in Mexico looking at Lucha Libre fans. Next week, in a bizarre twist, we're going to be going to Brazil to talk about fans of K-pop. That is Korean pop music. What? Yeah. I don't remember how there's a connection, but there is a connection. Believe it. (laughs) So, who's got the first famous last words? I can jump right in. Okay, go for it. 
Alrighty, my famous last words are uh, more of a statement this time. I believe that K-pop is so popular in Brazil because it just slipped on through the door after that door was open by K-dramas. I think K-dramas became popular first, and then everybody enjoyed the music in them so much they got on the K-pop. Bang. Okay. Bit of a chicken and egg situation. Okay. I mean, I hope the answer isn't yes. <laughs> it's like, well, why were K-dramas popular? And you're like, I don't know. I don't because know. K-pop. Because K-pop. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. All right, I'll go. That's good, because I'm still pondering. So here we go. The theory is that uh, K-pop is popular in Brazil because a song or K-pop band uses Brazilian rhythms in their song. Mm. Or rhythms that are appealing to Brazilian listeners. Okay. All right. Here goes. I got something stupid. Interesting. I'm guessing that K-pop became popular in Brazil because some legal band got lifted and then it just happened to be a popular thing amongst what came out of that. Oh, interesting. Okay. Brazil lifted a uh, trade embargo on Korean rice cakes. And what happened to be in the first case of rice cakes from Korea? K-pop albums. A CD. <laughs> <laughs> like, of video games, that's true. Like, yeah. for the longest time, Brazil had a ban on, like, electronic entertainment. Hmm. So, like, maybe the same is true of K-pop. I don't know. Hmm. I'm going to find out. You're going to find out. Mm-hmm. We're all going to find out. Yep. Next time on Phantropological. Right now, we just have to figure out how to get down to Brazil. I think we can take a helicopter, but, like, I don't know. That Jesus statue just keeps winking at me. The biggest buddy Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Do some walking. Get some donkeys. Burros. Burritos. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, little burros. <laughs> Little bird, yeah. Little donkeys. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you. Yep. Thanks for joining us, those on the chat. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Goodbye.